Uh, please join me in a word of prayer before we open God's word. Almighty God and gracious Father, we thank you, Lord, for Sundays, for that day of rest where we can pause and reflect on you. And we thank you, Lord, for your revelation in your word to us, through your word and also through creation, which we see bursting with glory right now. Lord, please clear our minds and open our hearts and let us hear your word this morning with everything that we have. Pray for Pastor Chris as he brings your word to us this morning. Amen. Today's scripture reading comes from the second book of Corinthians, chapter 4. It's on page 1,797 in your pew Bibles if you wanted to read along. Therefore, since through God's mercy we have this ministry, we do not lose heart. Rather, we have renounced secret and shameful ways. We do not use deception, nor do we distort the word of God. On the contrary, by setting forth the truth plainly, we commend ourselves to everyone's conscience in the sight of God. And even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. The God of this age has blinded the minds of unbelievers so that they cannot see the light of the gospel that displays the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. For what we preach is not ourselves, but Jesus Christ as Lord, and ourselves as your servants for Jesus' sake. For God who said, let light shine out of darkness, made his light shine in our hearts to give us the light of the knowledge of God's glory displayed in the face of Christ. But we have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. We are hard-pressed on every side, but not crushed, perplexed, but not in despair, persecuted, but not abandoned, and struck down, but not destroyed. We always carry around in our body the death of, Christ, the death of Jesus, so that the life of Jesus may also be revealed in our body. For we who are alive are always being given over to death for Jesus' sake, so that his life may also be revealed in our mortal body. So then, death is at work in us, but life is at work in you. It is written, I believed, therefore I have spoken. Since we have that same spirit of faith, we also believe and therefore speak because we know that the one who raised the Lord Jesus from the dead will also raise us with Jesus and present us to you with you to himself. All this is for your benefit, so that the grace that is reaching more and more people may cause thanksgiving to overflow to the glory of God. Therefore we do not lose heart. Although outwardly we are wasting away, Yet inwardly, we are being renewed day by day. For our light and momentary troubles are achieving for us an eternal glory that far outweighs them all. So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, but on what is unseen. Since what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. This is the word of the Lord.
So in grade 10, grade 9 and 10 actually, I, I played football uh, for a couple years uh, in the States and it was, uh, it was a lot of fun. Uh, I'll tell you a little bit more in a minute. But we had, we had this thing that our coach insisted we do uh, every time when we came out to the field and we would just And he'd say, you've got to do it. And he would, he would be after us to do this. And we're like, man, this is the stupidest thing. And we'd have to do it all the way out to the field. So we'd go from the locker room and we'd make our way out to the field. And he wouldn't let us run and jump and shout like all the other teams. It was just this steady. And we got to the point where, where he'd later in the season would have us allow us to start singing a little bit with that we will we will rock you rock you and so we got to let a little bit of the energy out with that but but the real irony of all of this is we lost every game we lost every single game and yet the coach would say I want you doing this and we'd have to do this, this whole thing. And, and he got us singing that song at the end, even though we knew we were the ones going to be there with mud on our face, the big disgrace, right? It was, it, yeah. I, I thought of that in context with this passage because it has two different times where it says, we do not lose heart. We do not lose heart. You know, most of the time when we come to Pentecost, what we think about are, are those big celebrations with Pentecost. We, oh my. I'll go back. <laughs> there. When the day of Pentecost came, they were all together in one room, one place. Suddenly a sound like the blowing of a violent wind came from heaven and filled the whole house where they were sitting. They saw what seemed to be tongues of fire that separated and came the rest on each of them. All of them were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak in other tongues as the Spirit enabled them. And we think of, of this big outpouring and this big, just supernatural event. And we think Pentecost, Holy Spirit, big supernatural power. We go on from there and, and read at the end of Acts this one. Those who accepted his message, his being Peter's, were baptized, and about 3,000 were added to their number that day. Like, man, preach a sermon and get 3,000 people to convert? Wow! It's just amazing when you think about it. And they devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and the fellowship to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. Isn't that incredible? Just this overwhelming sense of look at all that God is doing and it's this big, powerful, community-shaping thing that they actually wanted to get together every day. 
And they wanted to be together and to break bread and to enjoy life together. And, oh, you have something to need? I've got something. Let me sell it so that we can meet your needs. It was just this exuberant community full of life and generosity. And when I read it, I'm exhausted. And I think, how, how different than our realities. I don't know, maybe... Maybe some of you go, that's my daily experience. But I think for most of us, we see Pentecost and we go, yeah, that was a great thing that happened way back when the Spirit came, did this incredible work in the early church, and we don't see it today. We're, we're not accustomed to it. This is more our pace. For I know that good itself does not dwell in me, it is in my sinful nature. For I have the desire to do what is good, but I cannot carry it out. For I do not do the good I want to do, but the evil I do not want to do, this I keep on doing. We may want that community, but our reality is much more like Paul writing to the Romans. Life's hard. Even when I want to do everything right, I'm chasing after sin. He says at another point, those desires burn within me. The sinful desires that kind of, kind of draw us after other things. If the Holy Spirit came on Pentecost in such power, but we end up most of the time going, the Spirit must not be within me because my reality is like that sinfulness, sin grabbing at me, grabbing hold of me. I like this passage too. This is on the day of ascension. Jesus is just getting ready to leave. What comes after this is the Great Commission. But this passage. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. you catch that? The 11. The, these are the ones who, who ate bread with him and ate fish with him and went fishing with him. I mean, you go fishing with your good friends, right? It, it, they went fishing with Jesus. They hung out with him. They walked around with him for three years. They saw him and knew him. And some of them doubted. They saw him rise from the dead. They really saw him die, and they really saw him come out after the grave. And yet, some of them doubted. I take comfort in that. But it also speaks to more of our day-to-day -day reality. Lord, I believe. Help me overcome my unbelief. Right? I mean, we may want that Pentecost experience with the big powerful movement of the Holy Spirit where he's converting cities and changing the nature of community and doing miracles in our midst, not the least of which that God's people want to get together day in and day out. But our realities are much more like this. We've got sin that we don't seem to be able to get rid of. We've got doubts that continue to dodge us even in the midst of our worship. We're sinful. We're doubters. We're broken. 
So is the Spirit not living with us? There's a refrain that goes all the way through Scripture, and it's pretty powerful. We'll, we'll see how it plays out with the Father, with the Son, and with the Holy Spirit here. And this is from Psalm 103. It's one of the passages that, that talks about God's compassion for us. As a father has compassion on his children, so the Lord has compassion on those who fear him. For he knows how we, were, we are formed. He remembers that we are dust. It's in this context that, that God's saying, I'm going to forgive your sins. In fact, I'm going to remove your sins from you. As far as the east is from the west. I'm going to take your sin away. I'm going to set you free from it. Not because you deserve it, not because you figured things out finally, not because you've got some great spiritual achievement, but because I have compassion on you. And I remember that you're broken. I remember that you're frail. Remember that from dust you came and to dust you will return. I know you. And God, in the midst of his laws and commands and calling us to a new life, says these gentle words of, I see you. I know you're caught up in sin. I know you're full of doubts. I know you have a hard time believing. I've got you. I've got compassion on you. Jesus Speaking of Jesus, the, the writer to the letter of the Hebrews said it this way, We do not have a high priest who is unable to empathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet he did not sin. I mean, what we're going to celebrate in a moment is that Jesus took all of our weakness and sin on him and, and took it from us. He, on that cross, in his death and resurrection, took up all our doubts, all our sins, all our fears, all our worries, and, and took them on himself. We can be reconciled with God. That we can draw near to God. Not because we've got it all figured out, but because God, in the midst of our sin and brokenness, in the midst of our doubts and fears, said, I've got you. I know what it's like. I've been in your place. I know what those relationships are like and all the temptations that come with them. He even knows what it's like to feel God's absence. Remember what he said on the cross? My God, my God, why have you forsaken me? He's even been in that place where it feels like God has abandoned us and we're full of doubt and wonder what God's up to and where he's at. Jesus speaking compassionately. I know your struggles. I know that you're weak. I know that you're frail. I know that you don't have it all together and you're not often on a spiritual high. It's okay. I've been there. I've got it. Writing to the Romans, Paul talks about the spirit who groans with us and groans with creation and longing for that day when God will make everything new again. And he says this, in the same way the Spirit helps us in our weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for, 
but the Spirit himself intercedes for us through wordless groans, saying, even when we're so helpless, even when we feel so pulled away from God that we don't even know how to pray, the Spirit's still with us, holding on to us, interceding for us, praying for us. And part of what we're encountering in this Pentecost day is the presence of God dwelling with us. God the Father and God the Son sending God the Spirit to be with us and among us, not to, to throw all sorts of powerful circumstances on us and through us day in and day out, but to be with us steadfastly in the midst of our weaknesses, in the midst of our brokenness, in the midst of our doubts and our fears, we hear this refrain unfolding through Scripture of God saying, even when you're in the shadow of death, I'm going to be with you. Even when nothing makes sense to you anymore, even, even when the mountains fall into the heart of the sea, as the psalmist says, I will be with you. And the coming of Pentecost, the coming of the Spirit on Pentecost is God's resounding statement to us that even here, even when we feel the absence of Christ, the Spirit is with us. The Spirit is surrounding us. The Spirit is praying for us. The Spirit is holding on to us. This Pentecost day is about God, the Spirit, coming to dwell with us not just in those powerful spiritual high mountaintop experiences, but in the day-to-day -day ordinary living marked by our sin and our doubts and our worries and our fears. God who says to us, I am with you. Paul later on, talking about this later in the letter uh, to the Corinthians, uh, he's being criticized that he's not measuring up to others. And he gives this whole list of things that have happened to him. He's been beaten. He's been shipwrecked. He's been bitten by snakes. He's been cast off. He's been stoned and left for dead. He's been naked and hungry. And somehow in the midst of all these things going wrong, he still has this incredible, incredible sense of God's presence with him. And in the midst of all of this, I'm going to boast in everything that seems to go wrong because I know that in the midst of that, God is with me. And Christ is somehow going to be glorified. It's one verse. We have this treasure in jars of clay to show that this all-surpassing power is from God and not from us. Since Easter, we've been inviting people to make these little pinch pots, these little jars of clay. They're not much to look at. Some of them are well-crafted and seem to be pretty symmetrical. Some of them some of them look like we kind of pounded it, pushed our fingers in, and said we're done. But there's a whole variety here, a whole variety of expressions and character and, and all sorts of stuff poured into these, but they are, they are brittle. If we took one and dropped it, it would shatter and break on the floor. In fact, these are, 
are meant to remind us of this jars of clay image. There were, there were a few different types of jars that they used back then. They would have some made out of gold and silver and bronze and, and they would be, be finely shaped and crafted. And they would be used by kings and queens and, and royalty and all sorts of power. And they were, they were the special drinking cups and they were treasured. In fact, military armies would raid the temples to go get the good, the good silverware and the good utensils. And then you had things like alabaster jars that, that would preserve things for a little longer and they were used for special occasions. It comes out when, when this bottle of pure nard is broken that, that's used to anoint Jesus' head and feet. It was used for special treasures and special occasions. But here, they're talking about jars of clay. They were the ordinary discardable things, the things you used every day, and after it had been used once and it got a chip, you kind of threw it away. They weren't really reusable things. In fact, these broken shards would sometimes be gathered up and brought outside of the city and just kind of pitched in a pile. All these broken pieces of pottery, jars of clay. Several of the commentators used one word in connection with this. They were expendable. (laughs) They were expendable. They were the Ziploc baggies of that age. The paper plates. We have this treasure in jars of clay. I don't know whose this is. It has pretty little flowers sketched on the side. We're weak. We're fragile. We're easily broken. We're easily chipped and marked up And yet God says, I'm going to pour the fullness of my presence in the Holy Spirit into you. Even though you're going to be broken, even though you're going to be chipped, even though you probably get a few holes in you and cracks in you, even though you're going to be scarred by life, I'm pouring my spirit in you. I'm going to pour the fullness of my presence in you because of what I've done in Jesus Christ and because I want you to know that even when you struggle and doubt and fear and even when you feel beat up and broken, I am still with you. Pentecost. It's not about that big day, although that was an incredible day that God chose to do some miraculous things. Pentecost and the gift of Pentecost to us is that God reminds us once again that we don't got it all together. And that's okay because He does. And He is with us and He is filling us. Warts, bumps, chipped pieces, broken hearts warped minds, and all. God himself is with us. Let's pray. It's not about us, Lord. So many times we want to make church about what we can achieve and what we can do. 
We want to make our relationship with you about what, what disciplines we keep and how well we can perfect ourselves compared to the rest of the world. That's not what this is about. It's about you who are whole and holy, giving yourself to us, pouring yourself out so that even though we are broken and chipped and marred by life and by each other and by our own sins, you still abide with us. Great are you, Lord. In Christ we pray. And by the Spirit dwelling among us. Amen.